Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here this morning after a full week. It's exciting to come and continue our series on the book of Nehemiah. So what I want you to do is I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 15 uh, as we go there. Nehemiah chapter 6 verses 15 and into chapter 7. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, and his son Jehoanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. I had to practice those names. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt, I had set the doors in place, and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own exiles. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, so the houses and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical, genealogical record of those who had been first to return. Lord, as we look into your word today, I ask that we would be a people that work for your glory, that all we do uh, is to honor you. And that we give you the credit you're due as you continue to surprise us with how you're at work. So, Lord, we trust you and we look forward uh, to what you have for us in your word this morning. Well, first question is, I gave you all some homework. If you were here with us last week, I asked you to do a few things. The first thing I asked you to do was find someone in need. The second thing I asked you to do was to meet that need. The third thing in the vein of washing your hair was wash, rinse, and repeat. So the third thing I asked you to do is do it again. How'd we do? A lot of people not making eye contact with me. Is that the nervous? Oops, I forgot. Well, don't worry. There's new homework coming for you this week. But one of the things I love as we look at the scriptures is time and time and time again, we read them and we think they're just for us. But yet they challenge us to be a people of God together, serving Him. And in the process, we can't help but then serve others, both within the body of Christ and those that don't yet know Him. And I want to encourage us to be those kinds of people of service. And that's kind of where we find ourselves as we get into the second half of chapter 6 of Nehemiah. When you look at the situation at hand... On the list of impossible things that could never happen, getting this wall rebuilt would be at the top of that list. Nehemiah and the people of Judah, the the 
the Jews of the day had little or no chance of seeing Jerusalem restored. They were a captive country. Artaxerxes, king of Persia, was sitting over in the citadel of Susa, a, a thousand plus miles away. His interest was probably not in a small nation that had a history of ups and downs and being conquered. His history showed there would be no real desire for most kings to seek the well-being of God's chosen people unless something, someone spurred them on. You look today at impossible situations. Some of you face situations where a loved one is sick and in the, in the medical realm there is no way they'll get better. We look at parts of the world such as the Middle East and we wonder, how in the world could there ever be peace? I returned home from America a few weeks ago and wondered, how will I ever live in this house so quickly? There are times that seem like the walls that keep us from what we think we're supposed to do are immense. That we cannot possibly do them on our own. A 17-year-old and 15-year-old boy a few years ago, brothers, wrote a book called Do Hard Things. And their whole premise, their whole thesis was we don't trust God enough to do that which he's called us to do. He said if we're supposed to make disciples, if we're supposed to serve the widows, the orphans, the least of these, we shouldn't be afraid to do it. But yet these two young, young adults almost, by the time they finished, challenged the reader that we often get afraid and we often seek to get comfortable. Well, praise the Lord for the obedience of Nehemiah. Nehemiah saw an impossible task, rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But he was, knew it was a task from God, so he, what did he do? Well, as we've heard, he prayed first. He sought God and he said, Lord, and I think his prayer probably went something like, are you sure? Or are you just kind of hanging me out to dry? And after he'd sought the Lord, he began to develop an action plan, starting with going to King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah had great influence in Persia, in Susa. And so now he goes in and he asks for permission to rebuild the wall. And Artaxerxes not only gives him permission, but gives him all the help, all the resources he would need to do it. In other words, the king that had taken his people captive... The king that was overseeing that area said, not only will I allow you to build your city again, I'll pay for it. That doesn't usually happen. But God. And so that's where we find ourselves now. We've been building up. The work has continued. Opposition has come. There's been complaining. There's been abuse of power and loans and wealth from within. There's been abuse and opposition from outside the walls. But they never stopped working. Have you noticed that? They kept on going. The only times they stopped working were when they thought they were going to be attacked and they just did a different kind of work. They prepared themselves for protection. As we look at in verse 15, we find that in the midst of this, in 52 days, the wall was completed. Think of Hong Kong Island, okay? Six and a half kilometers around, right? Or from one end to the other. So you do that. So you've got a very small geographical region. Now, I'm not an expert on Hong Kong government and policy, but I'm pretty sure if we decided that due to 
the threat of terrorism rising today, which you'll see on the front page of this morning's newspaper, we are told that we need to be more vigilant here in Hong Kong with the threat of terrorism on the rise. Okay, so we read that, and we decide the best course of action is to get all 7 million people into Hong Kong Island, which I don't want to do that. But, and then we say we've got to build a wall, but the terrorists are coming soon, okay? They're coming very quickly. So everybody needs to get in, not just to Central, but Causeway Bay, where it's already full. And then you need to start using Repulse Bay in the backside, and more people need to live. Thank goodness the flats are big back, back there. And we get everybody there, and we say, okay, families, you are each responsible for your small little section of this wall. And it has to be huge, because there's a lot of us, and we have to be well protected. You think we're going to get that done in 52 days? Over 15 kilometers around. You think we're going to do it that quickly? Probably not. Nehemiah walks into a city. He takes a couple of days walking around on what I like to call a prayer walk. And he said, Lord, this is your project. This is your thing. And I know I'm supposed to do it. And as Pastor Ayers told us, he built up a team. He got some people around him. He recruited people that, that, like, if Mark or Keith asked me to hold a tool, you got to not only get them to do the job, but teach them how to do the job because they don't know. They're not tradesmen. They're not craftsmen. And they began to build this wall. Then we find out about Sanballat and Tobiah. They did everything in their power to stop construction of this wall. Some of you in your jobs have faced people that just want you to fail. Have you ever had that? Where you've got people that, whether they talk to you or about you, they can never say anything encouraging. It's always, always, always critical and deceptive at times. And when they're talking behind your back and it gets back to you, you realize their only ambition seems to be to make you fail. Well, when that usually happens, it tends to be in the business world what we call a demotivating factor. It doesn't tend to make us necessarily want to work harder, does it? When people continually point out our faults, realistic or not, we tend to take it personally, which is human nature, and then it, it gets harder to get out of that. It hurts. It hurts our feelings. I was talking with a young man last week, and somebody's got on after him for just completely unfounded reasons. And I said, all we can do, my friend, is pray and trust that God will soften the heart and that we can see him and rejoice in how he's worked in this situation. Nehemiah had these two men and all of their little armies they were trying to collect him, doing everything they could to prove that Nehemiah would not successfully rebuild this wall. And Nehemiah faced that opposition. He went straight to the Lord in prayer. He said, what you're saying about me is false. He left the defending of himself to the Lord, and he kept going. And in verse 15 of Nehemiah chapter 6, we read these words. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. To which all I can say is, wow. What do we do with that for us? As far as I know, we are not going to be shipped to Hong Kong Island and build a wall. But many of us, I've talked with many of you at times, where I've heard you say, I feel like maybe God has this for me, but I'm not sure, or it's too hard, or I just don't know. But yet you start, and then it gets difficult, and then you back off. 
The people in Jerusalem finished what they started. It was not easy. They faced odds that you and I probably can't ever imagine. While no physical violence or little physical violence actually took place, the threat of it was there daily. The persecution, verbal in every way, excuse me, was coming from every side. Three out of their four borders had people outside them threatening to attack them at any time. We're told that the messengers, those that carried the loads, carried with one hand, had a sword in the other. And even Nehemiah said, I slept in my clothes just in case. They faced tremendous odds. And yet they finished what they started. For us as, as churchgoers, we have a very simple task. When you look at it, depending on how you want to say it, it starts with going into all the world and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If our grand ambition is to make disciples, is to tell everybody we love about the love of Jesus Christ, everybody we love and we don't love, and everybody in between, and we want them to grow up to love and glorify God, and we do all this not because we want to, but because we want to obey God and do exactly what He wants out of an unselfish desire to please Him and to honor Him. Well, is the task done? No, it's not. We have much work to do. We look around the world. We can see a world in desperate need of hope. You can look to your neighbors, to your friends, and you know many of them need someone to walk through life with them, pointing them back to the person of Jesus Christ. But they might be a hard project, or you might be too tired, or your schedule might not have that flexibility in it. But yet, time and again, not only do we see that Nehemiah kept pressing on, well, in the process, he discovered that Jews weren't taking care of one another. So what did he do? He fixed it. He stopped. He listened to the people, and he helped alleviate the situation. And he challenged others to do the same. When the vision is cast, when we are told, as you read the vision statement that floats around our church all over the place, we seek to glorify God in all we do. And we do that by loving Christ, by growing up in Christ. We do that by loving one another and we do that by seeking to reach the world. If that's our marching orders, if that's how we define if we're effective and if we're pleasing God, we're going to let Him tell us. But if we seek to glorify Him in all we do and if we obey, wouldn't the sense of urgency be a little greater than maybe it is right now? Wouldn't just maybe it be more like a sense of anticipation that if we keep stretching ourselves, if we keep saying, God, come on, show us where to go and we'll follow. As our faith grows, as we serve a little, and then we serve a little more, and then we serve a little more, and as we see people growing and responding, we begin to say, well, maybe, God, you could do a little more and a little more. And as our faith grows, what happens? It's contagious. Just like this cold that I think I have. If you come too close to me and I sneeze on you, that'll be contagious. So too, in a much greater way, as we live out the faith that we can have in the person of Jesus Christ, great things can happen. The Jews didn't necessarily know how it was going to take place. The Jews didn't know if they were going to be attacked. They slept in readiness. They always had guards ready to go. They were always protected. But they finished the job that had been placed before them. They didn't give up. 
I'm sure some motivational speeches had to be given at times. But they kept pressing toward the goal that had been laid before them. Then we read in verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, when all the enemies heard that in 52 days, this small band of Jews living in Jerusalem rebuilt the wall, the surrounding nations, all the surrounding nations, all those that were threatening violence, that were threatening to derail God's plan, which by the way, go ahead and try to derail God's plan. You will fail because God is sovereign. His plans will be successful. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. I want to stop there for a minute because I think there's an important thing to note. When our confidence is in ourselves, it is easily lost. It is easily challenged by the ways of the world. Now, you've heard me say before, me, like many of you, want people to like me, right? Many of you are the same. We want people to be happy with us. But my confidence shouldn't be built up necessarily on what you think about me. My confidence should be in Christ alone. For the people of Jerusalem, they followed Nehemiah as Nehemiah followed the Lord. Their confidence seemingly was in the Lord. Their faith was great enough to build this. And you see, the nations that were on the outside, we would call them in churchy words, pagan. They didn't know the living God. And they were seeking to stop this project. And they lost their self-confidence. Because you know what? They were worshiping false gods. And they saw the true God at work and what he could do. Because, friends, humans couldn't have built that wall in 52 days if God wasn't working on it. God was the one building the wall. We humans just got to be a part of what he was doing. I love when we think about life like that. I love that subtle difference that says, my life isn't my own. I just get to be a part of what God is doing in this world. It's a vast difference in how we look at life. Because when we look at it like that, we begin to say, God, you can do with me whatever you want. Good, bad, or ugly, I'm yours. And we leave our trust and our confidence in him. And then when those nations attack, we don't lose our confidence because our confidence isn't in ourself. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Our confidence is firmly rooted on the rock of our salvation. And they lost their self-confidence. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. The other thing I like about this verse is that it reminds us today that people watch Christians. People were watching the people of Jerusalem carefully. They were very attentively and seeking to derail their plans, watching what they were doing. And what they observed was that no matter how many obstacles were thrown at the Jews, guess what happened? The wall went up. And they realized the pagans, the people that had no love for the one true God, saw just what it said. They saw that this work had been done with the help of our God. In the New Testament, we're told that we are to love one another. We are to be his disciples and we are to obey his commands. And by this, others will see him in us and rejoice. And so I wonder, as a church, as a family, as a body, whatever term you want to give it, do people see this giant faith 
and say, wow, only God could have done those things. And even more, do they hear us testifying that, wow, only God could have done something like that. Big or small, God is at work. But sometimes we tend to take the credit for it. I love that the people on the outside gave credit to God. Even they saw that only God could have done this. What's the challenge for us? It's a good reminder for us as a church how we treat one another, how we live in the world in which he's placed, how we faithfully obey his commands to love him, to love others, to take care of the poor, the least of these, to make disciples of all nations. How we do these things and how we carry ourselves is a direct testimony to who God is for others. In the case of the Jews, the people on the outside saw the wall was built and they couldn't help but say, only God could have done that. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? You build a wall in 52 days. I want to feel pretty good about myself. A few years ago, I successfully installed my first ever light fixture. Electricity terrifies me. I'll take apart a computer because if you zap yourself, it doesn't hurt very big. But if you zap yourself in a light fixture, it hurts a lot, especially in a 220. I've stuck my thumb in them. They hurt. And so with that knowledge, I had regretfully, or I had timidly begun to try to attempt to install a light fixture in my ceiling of one of my children's rooms. And I was so proud of myself when it was done. I had to call the guy that had tutored me in the process and walked me through every step of it. I said, I did it! And it wasn't flush and it looks terrible and it needs to be redone. But I had done it and I was so proud because I got three wires spliced together. I didn't fry myself. And at the end, we put on a light switch and there was light. And I was so pleased with myself. Now, to be so pleased with myself, I needed the probably frustratingly patient help of another who kept answering my calls for a light fixture that he could have done in five minutes. And I needed help. But yet when it was time and done, I looked at Melissa and I said, look at me, I put up a light. I didn't give credit to those whom credit was due. We do that sometimes, don't we? God is at work, and then at the end of it, we think, wow, I did a good job, didn't I? I did great. For the people of Jerusalem, as we'll turn about next week, the challenge, when God is at work, how do we respond? How do we make sure we give him the credit he's due? When the world sees that in those big situations and in those little situations, we respond by pointing people back to God, they will notice. And I promise you, if history is any indication, they will begin to ask questions. And they will begin to be interested, not so much just at your words, but at how you're different, how the love that you share with others is different, how your obedience has a purpose, because you're following the living God. They may not want to affirm that he is a living God, but they can know that you're different and want to know why. People are watching us. Then we find out that our good friend Tobiah was still at his dirty deeds. So you see, the other thing you realize is that just because you've finished whatever God told you to do for now doesn't mean you're done. Okay? Regardless of your feelings on retirement, your service to the Lord never stops. Some of you think at the rate of my retirement is going, I will never be able to retire. But 
in the scheme of serving God, it never says, okay, when you hit age this, then you're done. You don't have to serve the Lord anymore. You can just sit back and relax. Because the people had finished the wall. There should have been time for great celebration. But we read throughout these next few verses, what was actually happening was Tobiah and others were still trying to undercut Nehemiah. They were still trying to cut the legs out from this momentum that had been gained. They were still trying to get in to intimidate Nehemiah. They did not want this city to grow and develop. So just because you're done doesn't mean you're done. There are still more disciples to be made. There are still more people that just need the hope, the reason that we have in Christ Jesus. Just as Dory told us, I want to read it again, and it'll also be our benediction if you want to know. In 1 Corinthians 15, she didn't know that I was actually going to use this verse as well. But look what Paul tells us. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of your Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I promise you. The more fully you give yourself to serving God and obeying Him. Now, that starts with serving God by making disciples of all nations. He has given us the church to be His mouthpiece in the world. We get involved in the church and we seek to have big faith and say, Lord, how can you use this little church to bring glory to your name and to tell people of your greatness? Not AICs. Notice I didn't say it's about AIC. It's not. It's about Him. So you start there and you begin to labor, not for yourself, but for the Lord. You will get tired at times, but our strength is in Him. And we will be renewed day by day. We're told. We'll be renewed at the strength of eagles, we're told later on. But our labor is not in vain because it's bigger than us. If the only reason you work in this world is to make money, you're still going to die. Sad but true. If that's the only reason you've lived, is to provide a comfortable way of life for here on earth, we've missed the point. Paul says, be steadfast. Stand firm. Watch out. Be prepared. Jesus even actually says in, Matthew, or in Luke chapter 12, he says, be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. He's going to return. We know full well that Jesus is coming back, and I can't wait. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. I can't wait to see Jesus and to go home and be with him. But while on earth, we are told to be dressed and ready for service. Whatever service he might have for us, it starts with loving him. Simple as that. And we stand firm when that opposition comes. And we don't grow weary in doing good. These are all just basic biblical principles, but when we begin to think that life is about us, we miss it. When we realize that it's about following where God is taking us, it's about bringing glory to His name so that the world can see Him in us and rejoice. We begin to be willing to take slightly bigger steps because we can't do it. There is no possible way this scenario A could happen outside of the work of the Lord. Let's say that more. Instead of saying, well, let's make sure we've got all our contingencies planned for so that nothing could possibly go wrong. Where's the faith in that? I'm not saying we take blind, dumb faith. True faith is based on knowledge of the Word of God. 
It is based on understanding and following what we know to be true, and that is God will lead and guide and direct us, and he is sovereign, and he is in control, and he has a plan, and his plans will not be thwarted. Jerusalem had a wall in 52 days. The Jews stood firm. Jesus says, be dressed and ready to serve. Paul tells us to be steadfast, ready to go. And not only that, but surround yourself with those that can help get you to where God is leading you. Notice that Nehemiah appointed his brother Hanani and another man of integrity, Hananiah, to help with the leadership. He didn't just do it alone. He wasn't a lone ranger. I don't think you can find in Scripture that lone rangers are the way God intended it. There's way too much talk about unity. There's way too much talk about the body. There's way too much talk about coming together, bearing the burdens of one another, working together, encouraging one another while it is still called today. You see this time and again, yet what do we see often is we want to do it ourselves. And instead, Nehemiah appointed others to help. And he'd done that earlier. He does it again here. And they follow And they can stand firm knowing that God is at work. How cool would it be to be in Jerusalem then realizing that all those areas outside are way afraid of you because of your God. And there's only a few of you. Look what it says next. The gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. Why? Because they didn't want to let anybody in. They didn't want to let any of this opposition in. But yet, we already know they were afraid of them. We read that there are very few people actually living in Jerusalem right now. Yet, even with that knowledge, those that were bordering were afraid because God was at work. And Nehemiah makes sure that the people are ready and prepared And even again, he reminds not just those coming into Jerusalem to work for the day, then going back out to the suburbs. He appoints those to take care of Jerusalem that are actually living there. Their vested interest was in the citadel of Jerusalem. Of course they'll take care of it. It's their home for us. If we look forward to an eternity as a part of the kingdom of heaven, if that is our true home, wouldn't we work tirelessly to bring glory to our king? Wouldn't we work tirelessly to follow the path he has for us? Wouldn't we work tirelessly to keep on going to where he's told us to go, looking forward to the fulfillment of his prophecies, to to his promises, to looking forward to the fulfillment of eternal life spent enjoying fellowship with God like we've never experienced We keep going. We don't stop short. The work isn't done. It's not the time to pat ourselves on the back and say, whew, God, I'm going to take a vacation. I'll get back to you later. I'm not saying vacations are bad, but I listened to a podcast this weekend. It was interesting. A guy was actually talking about he'd been on vacation, and he just sat down at a restaurant. And in the course of his conversation, he asked the, the waiter that was taking care of them a couple of questions about life and just started talking to him about the Lord. Now, sometimes we think that when we're on vacation, we take a vacation from church and uh, things like that. But yet here, this guy was, he was just talking about, you know, I had such great fun telling this guy about the reason for the hope that I have in Jesus. Why wouldn't I want him to have the life that I have? He didn't stop just because he was on vacation in Florida or wherever he was. 
He used every opportunity God had given him to keep on going, to tell people that there is a God that loves us, that has a plan, that gave his one and only son to die so that we might have life for all eternity and fellowship with him and that we might enjoy eternal life because of the price his son paid for our mistakes, for our sins. We can have that relationship. He gave his only son that we could have life. Why wouldn't we want to tell everybody we know about that? we got to keep going. The work isn't done. The Christian and Missionary Alliance is known to be to walk around and every year we have this thing called the Great Commission Sunday where our whole mission is to try to do everything we can in the CMA to promote more people to getting involved in the mission of God of making disciples of all nations. I don't think we necessarily need a Sunday. I think we need every day of our lives to be about that. God has laid a task in front of us. Simply put, love God, love others, make disciples. Take care of the widows, the orphans, the least of these. Those are some pretty clear objectives. The task is simply before us. Will we keep going or will we say, hey, we've gotten this far, let's just stop. It's easier. It's safe. We can tread water. I was on a junk boat trip yesterday, and it turned out to be uh, quite a beautiful day. But the sea was very choppy. I don't know if it's the remnants of the latest typhoon or what. But on a normal day, when I just tread water, uh, it, it doesn't happen naturally for me. I'm not a great swimmer. But yesterday, I got home, and I was so tired. And I was like, I didn't actually swim that much, but I had to work so hard to keep my head above the waves. You know what I've found? Even yesterday, when I actually went swimming when I worked to not just tread water, but to move, it was a lot easier. It was actually simpler for me than it was just to tread water and keep trying to put my head up and then get a bunch in my face. And like I said, I'm not very good at it. In the same way, I believe it is such a greater journey when we move forward to where God is telling us to go than when we just tread water and complain about how things are right now. Or we just say, you know, I'm, I'm happy here. I don't want to move any further. I don't see that in Scripture. We are consistently told to live big faith. Jerusalem in 52 days was built, not by the hands of man, but by the hand of God. God was at work. The city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And so God put in my heart to assemble the nobles, the common people, for registration by the families. Nehemiah needed to know who was in the city. He began to delegate. And then they began, as we'll see next week, they turned back to the law to remind them of that which they were supposed to do. So what do we do with all this information? This is kind of an informational sermon in a lot of ways. But there, there, there should be homework when you look at a, a time like this. Because Nehemiah and his merry band, I like to think of them as, I don't think they were always very merry, but they worked. And they worked hard. And they seemingly worked tirelessly. Day and night they were prepared for whatever might be thrown at them. Their faith seemingly, uh, we know Nehemiah's faith was in the Lord. And when there were problems, he didn't just go around asking everybody else for a solution. He went to God. He demonstrated great faith. So what can we do? Well, the first thing is, look for how God is at work. Sorry, that's the wrong color, so it's a little dark. But it says, look for how God is at work. Look around you. 
And then what I want you to do is I want you to tell others about how God's already at work. Say, look at God, look at what God has done. Look at these little miracles that couldn't have been done but God. And then you give him the credit. You don't just say, oh, that must have just been a coincidence. But we begin to look for how God is at work. Uh, the guys that wrote Experiencing God used to say this. They would say, look for God, at, God already at work and get involved. Okay? So if we look for how God's at work, we're not building a wall around Jerusalem, but we are seeking to make disciples of all nations. And I am unashamedly going to say that we're going to do that to the best of our ability as this small church that we are. Pastor Dan Tupps has come on to help us, to help us pursue mature discipleship of all people, both here and outside. And we've committed ourselves as a church to saying, we want to be light in this world. Well, you got to tell people that God's at work. How Dan ended up in our church is a God thing. It wasn't just man that was at work. It's God at work to bring those pieces into place and how they fit. Sometimes God can be speaking and we're too busy or too distracted to hear him. But if we slow down, he begins to work. If we obey, we take that step of faith and say, Okay, God, I'm going to set foot. I'm going to do what you tell me to, where I feel you're leading me to go. I'm going to talk to my friend about you. I'm going to help out my friend in need. Not because I'll get anything out of it, but because you tell me that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to sacrificially give to help others. I'm going to sacrificially serve the body of believers both here and abroad. I'm going to help out Lavina in whatever way she might need or Linda in the team in Cambodia or other friends that I have that are working tirelessly for the Lord. I'm going to do what I can because I love my Lord. I love my God. And as I see him at work, I'm not going to take credit for that. I'm not going to say, ooh, look at me. I'm going to say, God, you've done this. I would love to be able to talk to our church family. And you tell me, you'll never guess how God was at work this week. Because then I could ask you to share it with the rest of us. And then we begin to see him at work. And it strengthens our faith. It strengthens us as we hear from one another. So part B of that, tell others about him. Start with each other. Tell others how God is at work. And then what do you do? You do it again. You keep following the Lord. And you don't just keep him to yourself. A life hidden is no use, right? It is my prayer that we are a church that not only works hard. We are a hard-working body. Look, the office is almost done. It looks great. Uh, we've sent teams all over. But we must be cautious not to take the credit for ourselves, but to give it to him. To look for how he's at work and then say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We've got to keep our eyes on him. And as we see how he's at work, we sing about it. We talk about it. We tell about it. We can't shut up about him. Even in difficult circumstances, we tell him. Notice that Nehemiah didn't just skirt away from the difficult circumstances. He embraced them. He took on the challenge and he kept going and the wall was still done in 52 days. That's amazing. That takes a confidence that is not in man, that is in God. May our confidence today and every day not be in ourselves, not be in what we think we can accomplish, 
but may it be in the Lord. May we trust. He'll get us to where we need to go, and we'll follow him. I'm not promising you it'll be easy, but it'll be an adventure. And there is so much greater joy found in obeying him than just seeking to be comfortable in life. And as we tell others that great hope that we have in Christ Jesus, it's contagious. So may we tell one another in the world that God is at work and he's not done with us yet. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you and your great sovereign plan could transform a city in 52 days. And that you showed yourself to other nations, not because of the hands of man, but because you are God and you are in control. Lord, please don't let us to grow weary in telling people about your great work. May we be obedient and faithful to you. In your name I pray.